Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Pilati, and I am really excited today to dig into what good looks like for a growth team six months after they get started. We have an awesome conversation with Thibaut Imbert, who is the VP of Growth at GitHub, and Hila Chu, who is the VP of Growth at GitLab. This was recorded as a clubhouse session. We're going to go ahead and jump right in. Before I do that, I just want to make a quick plug. If you like this episode, there are so many others with amazing guests. Hit that subscribe button. And if you wouldn't mind, and you've been listening to a bunch of these, a review on the app store or the podcast store rather would go a really long way. And I would greatly appreciate that. So let's go ahead and dive right in. So Hila, why don't you go ahead and get us started? Yeah, sure. So I think what good looks like after six months, it's a little bit hard to see because it's hard to say that all teams start from the same foundation, right? Some some teams like are facing a situation where there's no infrastructure, there's no data, and they really have to start there. And then the good for them might be they kind of making progress in that front and they are able to finally begin to test and things like that. Uh, let's say, assuming a, a typical team who where they already have some foundation in terms of data collection, A-B testing framework, and all the infrastructure stuff. I would say after six months, my ideal scenario is that they um, have a more clear understanding of what growth really means and translate that into a North Star metric and, uh, and a growth model. And not only that, they kind of maybe have their initial focus area identified and they have a they picked a metric for begin to launch a few experiments and maybe realize that focus area is not a good focus area maybe the metric they initially picked is uh, not ideal so they are uh, pivoting to a different focus area or or a better defined metric like I've experienced that multiple times myself. Initially, you you think this is the right thing to focus on, but after a while, you realize that there is a such a maybe there is a lagging period of time which is too long. You shrink the time frame, or the behavior you focus on is not a good predictor of uh, conversion or or retention. So you you pivot to something else. I think a good pivot uh, is actually good, and I would say maybe some a little bit of momentum in terms of the team is beginning to get into uh, some reason and in terms of the team are motivated and they have seen a few wins um, they have few, maybe seen losses for sure but they have seen a few wins and they begin to believe that this will work the systematic way of testing uh, will work and they are motivated to do more themselves without me having to kind of think of all the ideas or, or be the genius and, and or, or kind of pushing the team to do so. They are enjoying the, that themselves. Yeah, I would say those are my main kind of um, indicators. What about you, Kipu? Uh, I like that. And I think I might repeat some things that you that you mentioned, which I think is a good sign. Number one, I think uh, people, after six months, I think you want to have a good understanding of uh, identification of, you know, the leads that you're going to have on the product side and as a PM. If you're doing more product-led growth, it could be if you're doing growth marketing, maybe you don't call them PMs, but at least 
from a people standpoint, understanding who are your leads, who have the right mindset, both at the product manager level, at the engineering level, and at the data analyst, data science level. So I think that's really so important that after six months, you should have a, a good um, team that you've identified in terms of people and the right talent that you want to invest in. The second is tools and platform. Uh, like we have touched in the past, it's so critical that you have a platform that supports that culture of experimentation that Hila was talking about. You want a platform that allows people to test quickly, iterate, be sure that the data is right. So a, a platform that's trusted. So number one, people. Number two, tools and platform. Uh, the third, uh, and Hila touched on that, is the goals. Again, this is so important in the next, in, in after six months, you should have a team that clearly understand what they're supposed to focus on. If after six months, the team is still, you know, changing and working on many areas of the funnel, I personally believe it's, um, it hasn't worked for me. It's important to have the team focused on, okay, are we actually focusing on acquisition? Are we focusing on engagement? Are we focusing on revenue? So clear goals in terms of the metrics and then setting absolute goals. So, you know, we've talked about, and there's plenty of literature about the metrics that you want to move. Uh, I think it's important. And I've talked about that in the last session. I treat my team just like a sales team in terms of absolute goals, in terms of revenue, because we're focused on revenue. So clear expectations on the goals. So that's three. Number four is a very good operating model for experimentation ideas, for, for developing good ideas. That's something I realized I didn't do well in my previous role where I was expecting people to come up with experiments out of, you know, commuting or under the shower. And definitely some of us do that. But I think you need to make space as part of the culture to actually tell people, hey, next Tuesday at three, we have this meeting where we expect all of you guys to bring some new experiments. So you need to make space for that. Uh, so that's number, number four. And then uh, number five, uh, user research. Making sure that you have the right tools uh, and the right methodology to do user research through surveys and user testing.com uh, if you use that to make sure that your team has the qualitative data uh, to come up with good ideas. So yeah, that's kind of like my playbook, I would say. Quite a list of things. I love it. So part of what I'm teasing out here is one big core thing that Hilo, you were talking about is fundamentally the team should have proven or disproven the core hypothesis of the growth team in the first place, right? The whole, what you were talking about pivots, it's like the team should know if the reason they were built and the initial focus that they had is working or is not, and that they should be moving on to something else. And then one of the other things that I'd, I'd love to dig in on, unless either of you have something to add there, is around that operating system. So, you know, measuring the goals and metrics, coming up with ideas, tracking the experimentation. Maybe we can peel back the layer a, a bit more from that. So I would imagine, you know, maybe at the start of a growth team, you throw together a couple brainstorming sessions. You have a brainstorming session once a week and you have a spreadsheet with all ideas. And can we talk about that next level? Like what what is the what is the structure that's expected there? Is it like a very like uh, is it explicitly clear cadence and soft like tracking software and all that? I uh, would love to hear on that. Yeah, uh, sure. So at GitHub, we've adopted the uh, the approach that uh, Pinterest is using called EIR, uh, Experimentation Idea Review, that we have every every Wednesday, and it's an hour session where 
We have the EIR working group that's gathered uh, across data science, product, and marketing. Anyone can come from, you know, we believe good ideas come from everywhere in the company. So if you want to be, if you're in the sales team, customer support, anyone, you can join. And what we do, uh, we use obviously GitHub as a, as a platform to uh, spec out. So all of our experiments, when you're bringing a new experiment to the EIR, you need to fill out a template uh, that has very specific sections predefined. Uh, hypothesis, problem statement, opportunity, volume, statistical significance, uh, how much time is going to require to uh, to run and all that stuff, visuals. So we have this very, very rigorous spec and a, an informed group also that we have with all the stakeholders. So when a PM writes a new experiment, they can specify, they already have as part of the, the body of the spec, all of the salespeople, all of the finance people informed that an experiment has been created. So everyone's informed. And then the, the person that authored uh, on a weekly basis, uh, the experiment presents the experiment. And then what we do is that we later present, have that person presented to the group and, and that group can decide if they approve it or if it needs to be refined or rejected if we think that it's, it's just a bad idea. So that's basically kind of like the core of the EIR and the tempo and what it allows us to do. So hopefully that answers your question, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Hila, any, anything to add about like the specific operating system type stuff that you'd like to see in place at six months? Yeah, I, I think, Thibault, I am going to steal that from you. We, we don't have that something like that implemented yet. It sounds a kind of an awesome idea. What I have done before is a couple things. One, we, we do have experiment channel where we share results and uh, uh, whenever we have that and through the results and through people guessing which version is better and when we share the actual number they were surprised people begin to kind of simultaneously uh, think of new ideas and they will say oh you should test this you should try that so we, we collect ideas through kind of those interactions on previous experiments the other thing I do is I think Ideas can really come in from everywhere. One is from data analysis. The other one is coming from user research. And there will be kind of coming from the best practices and different perspectives within the company. So we do have a weekly growth meeting where the main goal for, for, for the growth meeting in my team is less about kind of sharing re results. It's more about sharing insights. And when, when someone concluded experiment, they will talk about what they learned. And typically from there, others will begin to chime in and offer different perspectives, why result looks like that. Maybe you should try that, try this. And we have user research as well as data analysts to be part of that meeting as well. So they will bring in their learnings from a data analysis they did or a user research they did. Those are a little bit less structured. They are not specific to one product area or experiment. They are much more broad, but those will inspire the PMs and other people to begin to think about ideas based on those. I think the last thing I typically try to do is have two lanes of work, two roadmaps. One roadmap is focused on the actual experiments we want to do this month or uh, this quarter. That is driving a particular KPI we want to drive this quarter. But we also have 
in parallel, another roadmap or, or kind of some efforts going on, which is more a roadmap for data analysis team or user research team. And their KPI or their focus area usually is ahead of the PM team. So they will do some research or analysis on something else that we plan to dive deep into in the future. So their work in this quarter will inform the roadmap for PM and engineer in next quarter. We stagger them. That will help generate some good quality ideas as well. So that's uh, kind of what I have been using so far. Awesome. And I want to double click on this roadmap piece. So when most growth teams get spun up, they're operating in a just-in-time fashion, right? We have an idea. Let's just work on it right now. Let's just try to ship it as soon as we can and move on and get to the next thing. At the six-month mark, so you're talking about roadmaps uh, and would love you know both of your, your views on this. You're talking about roadmaps, Gila. Like how far out are you expecting the teams to be with their roadmap? Is it like, here's, here's what the next two things that we plan after this experiment that we're running right now. Is it, you know, a multi-month thing? Is it like, here are the 12 big rocks. We're going to do one of them every month for the rest of the year. Like what, how far ahead is that roadmap look? I think my experience, uh, it's definitely not, I, I don't think growth will ever have a roadmap that is Uh, as structured as maybe some of the large feature development team, right? You have the next two years kind of all figured out because the the beauty and the challenge about doing growth is you don't know how your next experiment will turn out to be. And the result of that experiment will inform your roadmap. It may take to a completely different direction if a small thing actually worked perfectly, you may want to double down on that area. So I definitely feel like it's not two years, um, but I don't think it's kind of next three experiments as well. So because that way usually means you're not building up your backlog with high quality ideas. You're constantly trying to find new things to work on and you may not spend enough time in terms of user research or data analysis to uh, increase the quality of your idea. So I generally will say like anywhere between um, three to six months is a good rule of thumb where you will you may have a, your current focus area. For example, our current focus area is we want to increase the early adoption of a particular feature that is uh, popular among new users. That backlog, maybe we have three months or four months of like ideas there. But in the meantime, we already begin to do data analysis and research in the potential next focus area, uh, which is um, kind of um, maybe it's a user invitation related flow experience, right? And we begin to do those so that after this three months or four months, we, we already have maybe two months of backlog built in, in the other focus era. So I think that's my typical approach. Yeah, this is interesting. I think, you know, roadmap, I don't have a, a perfect answer, but what I'd say is that, for instance, for us right now, we, there's always, you know, strategic, uh, strategic bets that the company wants to make and wants to focus on. So for us at GitHub, there's some key areas that are coming really from the CEO and then our other executives saying, hey, we have to focus on this part of the business. And so as a growth team, you have to kind of like, yeah, this this part is a little bit top down. 
And then, uh, so we have these big rocks, as you'd call them, Matt. Uh, and so from these big rocks, we then kind of like build our OKRs. And so what the way we do it is that we have really durable you know, themes for uh, uh, for our roadmap. One is we call, you know, time to value. I think Hila probably talks maybe about that in some ways, about getting people to discover the value of a feature as soon as possible. We have time to value. We have, you know, transactional optimization with payments. We have many other areas. And so what we do is that we, um, these themes are durable and evergreen and they can be applied to any area of the product. So for instance, right now, there are some, two key areas of the business that we're focusing on for uh, FY22. And so we're taking these big rocks and we're like, okay, what can we do in that sandbox? And so that's where, you know, the research starts and we look at, okay, what is preventing people from adopting this? What is, so we like to spend a lot of time on research, as you call that in the past, Matt, where I think at HubSpot, uh, Brian Balfour was having the team do a lot of research we do the same thing, and then uh, we we build our, our roadmap based on that. So it's a it's a top down and a bottoms up. The pillars, and then or I'd say the big rocks are a little bit top down, and then we as a team then can work with these um, these pillars and come up with our own sauce. Love that. Okay, so let's uh, jump to another uh, another angle of a team at six months. So we've talked about what good looks like at that point, and I just want to take a second to say like, what does bad look like? Let's say you're six months in and you don't have many results and you haven't moved a number. What do you do? Like what, what does good look like if you're not moving the number? How can you make it good? Either of you can hop in and take it. I mean, I, I can uh, just quickly. Yeah. So I was thinking about that when you shared with us some questions, Matt, I think, you know, you need to make it, you need to dissect and understand the the cause of the problem. Uh, if you haven't moved that number, is it because of a lack of execution or is it because of a lack of good data and trusting the data? Is it a lack of focus? And so depending on the, the reason, then the cure might be different. So if you can't, for instance, if it's an execution problem and all the ideas were, were not good, then you want to look at how your team is actually developing hypothesis and the talents that you have, do you have the people that have the mindset and the, the product and the marketing sense? At the end of the day, I believe that even if you have the best data in the world, which is unlikely in many companies, I believe, it starts with product and marketing sense. You're not going to develop good experiments if you have no idea about the product, if you're not a customer, if you're not deeply embedded in the product. And so that's the, the thing that I think you need to understand is, is it an execution problem or is it an idea problem? And so depending on what the issue is, then you want to go to a different cure. If it's a platform problem, then you need to invest and make your team success. In, in some ways, set up your team for success by giving them the right tools. You can't expect to be a five-star Michelin restaurant without a kitchen and then, uh, you know, cookware. And so I think that's really my, my advice is that if you haven't moved the number, try to understand what happened instead of just, you know, blaming the team and be like, okay, this mantra is not moving. I'm going to fire you all or whatever. You need to really be with the team embedded and try to understand what's causing the team to not be able to move that number. And, you know, that's, I think, the most important thing. Sometimes I mentioned the good pivot, right? Sometimes that number or that initial metric or focus area may not be the, the best metric or best focus area. And I, I mentioned, I experienced this myself multiple times. 
it is very possible you are maybe over ambitious initially. You pick a metric that's too broad, that your team really have a little bit of control. Like you don't have the full control. It's impacted by marketing. It's impacted by sales. And your team really has like control on the product experience, which is a very small piece of that. And hence, you have done a lot of things, and it's actually working, but it's not visible. So in those cases, you want to figure out a better way to set up a more narrowed focus area, because initially, in the first six months, it's not about. I think it's not about make a major win. It's more about have some wins and have some kind of. Momentum that can motivate the team, that can prove the team to the rest of the organization. I think that's just one one thing I will add there. Okay, how would other departments describe a well functioning growth team after six months in their own words? So, for example, if you were to ask a sales director or a VP of marketing at a company that has a growth team that got started six months ago. What would you want them to say that would make you, or what would you want to hear that would make you believe that, oh, that growth team is actually doing a really good job? I think it's a good question. I would say number one, and that's something we spend a lot of time on at GitHub is informing. And that means informing is being grounded grounded in qualitative and quantitative data. So I would say number one, that team is grounded in the customer data, uh, both quant and qual, understanding the personas and all that stuff, understanding our customers, informing in the sense that to inform the stakeholders about what you're doing. So being a team player, uh, not surprising the sales team, not surprising anyone with stuff and keeping really over communication is really good in growth because you want people to know. You don't want people to be surprised that there's an experiment going out that's potentially, you know, moving a specific metric in a specific direction. So you got to be really careful with that. So informed in what you do, informed in how you work and how you let the organization know what you're doing. And then I think one thing that we don't talk often about in growth is actually the learnings. Because we often focus really heavily on the metrics. Obviously, this is important. But I think, you know, what are you doing with these learnings? Uh, Most of the experiments might not move the metric, but you're going to learn something interesting. We thought people would do that. It turns out that's not how people think. And therefore, we didn't move this metric because that. And I think even myself included, often we tend to believe, uh, yeah, that's, that's an interesting learning, but that's not moving really the metric that we're all kind of like hoping to move. And so communication of that and applying and sharing these learnings, I think, is important. One thing we're going to start at GitHub, I want to put in my OKRs for Q1, is starting a newsletter. And I think, Hila, maybe you mentioned that uh, in a previous session, to inform and actually share with the organization, okay, we've run 20 experiments, we've moved this number, five experiments were successful in moving that metric, and here's what we learned with everything else. I think that's really something uh, important. So for me personally, I think that's what I think other departments would describe is grounded in data, informing everyone and communicating about the uh, the results and executing and being able to, you know, take these learnings and actually make it part of the baseline experience. How do you close the loop after you've rolled all these things and how do you do you improve the product and, and or the overall business? Yeah, I think that's a lot of what I try to say as well. I think anecdotally, I feel like a, a good growth team and should maybe fail a couple of things after six months. 
One is that usually initially when there is a growth team is new in the org and uh, other teams may feel maybe uh, confused or may doubt whether this team is necessary uh, or they may feel like threatened. They may feel like, oh, is that because I'm not doing my job great or if this team is going to mess up with what I do? So I think the first important thing is other teams are not feeling that way. They, they build trust with this team or at least initial doubt goes away after first six months. And even better, I feel like sometimes my team or, or I think a good girls team, we often hear that, thank you for a lot of the effort you do we feel smarter like here. We, we learned more about our users. We learned more about our, about our products. We have so much more data. We begin to make data-driven decisions. Not necessarily like directly, some are directly based on our insights and learnings. Some are kind of inspired by how growth team runs things and other teams begin to do a little bit more of that. I think that's a big success. The other thing anecdotally is other teams, for example, marketing teams, they will often join some of the growth team meetings and they because they want to know what's going on. And they sometimes say their KPIs unexpectedly, unexpectedly become better and they don't know why and they think of growth team. They're like, did they do something maybe in the trial flow? And that indeed is the case. So like helping your collaborators, sales team, marketing team, even customer success team in achieving their KPIs. I think that's a that's a great indicator that the growth team is is working and is helping, uh, is building cl- uh, collaborators. Yeah, I think those are the the kind of two anecdotal signs I will look for. It's always funny when uh, I mean I was reading this this thing a while back when I started in growth where growth is a very stressful job because. When things go down, no one knows. And when things go up, no one knows. And so, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but there's a little bit of that. So it makes me makes me smile to we've had the same thing. Other teams coming and be like, this thing is going up. Can you guys, are you folks doing something there? It's always the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And and also when something went down, they will go to a growth team as well. Yeah, I, I forget to mention that part. <laughs> That's great. So the, the big thing is trust and that, Things are better in whatever way, like, you know, the teams feel like they've learned more or that the metrics are impacted better. That was great. That was a fun question. Thanks for for answering it. Growth Unplugged, we're doing it every single week with some amazing people. I'm learning a ton. I know the people listening are learning a ton and, and asking for like recaps and notes and things like that. So I really appreciate all of you, all you people tuning in. Uh, it's great to see there's a lot of faces that I'm seeing here week over week. So that's awesome. And definitely tell your tell your friends in Reforge and even outside of Reforge that this is going on and they should definitely check it out. Okay, okay we got a couple questions. Okay. My name is Kailash. I work with uh, Top Hatter and we have a very small growth team. We're thinking of building it out. Uh, my question is, what are some of the things that the growth team should not be doing that like the growth team ends up doing? Yeah, it's a good question, Kailash. Uh, one thing uh, just happened recently, maybe anecdotal, Curious Hila, if you've been there. Often uh, the, the growth team wants to fix things that are actually very core product. So for instance, uh, on GitHub, they are part of the product experience where we go and research and customers are telling us, oh, this part is super confusing uh, and it keeps coming up. 
And it's so tempting for the growth team to be like, oh gosh, we got to fix this. It's so annoying. Every single customer is bringing that up. But we have to be selfish and be like, oh, right, this is something that the product team could fix. It's also something that could be very expensive for us. Is it actually moving the metric that we need to move? No. And if not, then we shouldn't look into it. And it's hard. It's really hard because as a product manager at heart, you want to build and fix and build a great product, but you have to then... So that's an example that keeps coming up for me. And, and, and I have to go back to the team and, and say, right, let's share with the team. Let's meet with them. Let's share all these great insights. But we can't fix the product. That's not what we're here to do. We, we have to grow the product. Now, to be fair, there will be some moments where it's so bad or there might be something that you really want to do because the team has some bandwidth and it's a just do it, like we call it a JDI. But often I try to tell the team to move away from that because it's a rabbit hole if you try to fix the product because then your team is going to be basically fixing all the bugs from the product team. Yeah, I will add something there. I think there I, I've seen sometimes growth team, they are like building features or they're building a product experience that's a little bit uh, more sophisticated. That's kind of larger. That's not a typical, very small iteration or experiments. In some cases, that's fine. For example, you're building some sort of gamification uh, mechanism in the onboarding. You're doing things like that. That totally fits into growth. That will help. What become a little bit blurred is sometimes the growth team is structured intentionally small to build things quickly, test things quickly, and move to the next area. So if, if you ask this team to take on the maintenance of this feature they build or like all the things they have built changed over time, it can be a little bit hard. I've seen either ways in, in companies with a larger growth team, maybe the team will build that and own that and then maintain that while they do new experience. In some smaller teams, there might be a flow, workflow, or process to be worked out with the core feature team where you can hand them over this developed feature or in, in the case, it's a little bit bigger so that there it, it has a team that will maintain it and the smaller growth team can move to the next experiments and they don't have a lot of maintenance responsibility because in my experience, if you want growth team to do those big changes or maintain big features, it really eats away their time to be testing, to be doing the new things. And that's something you want to pay attention to. I think the other thing culturally, I feel like a growth team really want to stay away from is to be to position yourself as superheroes and as the as the team that you need and you only need and your numbers will be great. You are kind of better than other teams, than sales and then marketing, than core product teams. I don't think that's the case, but sometimes there is that that misperception and growth team need to do a lot of job to kind of change that and don't fall into that trap because you really cannot change, achieve growth with one team. You really need a whole company to work behind that goal and growth team is really kind of just a kind of a team that's more focused in that area that's advocating that's kind of using some different approaches and methodologies so don't 
try to be the superhero or or like be viewed as the superhero. That will be the second point I would add there. Yeah, one thing I'll just add to that. I think it's a great point, Hila. And one one mistake I've seen also is uh, position the team as the team that basically can be parachuted to any problem. It's kind of like the we're the team that can solve all your problems, and then you end up with a team that has a lack of identity at the end of the of the year because they're like, well, all we've done is. I mean, it's exciting because you kind of like go and run and move fast, but at some point, people want to build more sustainable things with more impact. And what I've seen is that when you do that, you tend to chase the the, the, the little thing that you know one team cares about one day, and then the next day, that team has moved on. And so you're kind of like you want to be careful. You want to be able to have you know a strategy and a team that believes in the durability of what they're what they're what they're working on. Thanks so much. That was super helpful. I think one of the things that I've seen working really well for us is as we discover some of these mechanics that, uh, let's say, improve engagement or retention, we have like a long-running holdout. And uh, the growth team, we look at the long-running holdout over time while the mechanic itself becomes like an operational lever for the team executing. So I think that uh, that has also kind of helped us. But, but thanks so much for your response. Sure. Thanks for the question. Yeah, great question. Thank you for hopping up here and, and asking it. All right, we got another person with a question. I'm going to go ahead and invite him on up. Hi, it's Juana. I know we can be challenging. Hi. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Uh, Matt, this is actually a question for you, and it's a follow-up from what Hila was saying about, you know, it takes a village to raise a baby, it takes a company to provide growth, not just a, a small team. So with that in mind, I've been following the conversations in this room for a while now, but it's unclear to me at this point if when you talk about growth in this context, do you mean product-led growth? I'm on the marketing team and my company does marketing-led growth. And I just wanted to ask, Am I right? Is it mainly product growth uh, that we discuss here? And are there any opportunities in the future to discuss marketing web growth? Or should I follow other rooms? It's a great question. I love it. It's a question for Matt. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So I, I think it's a mix of all of them. I think the fundamental, the, the what's fun to me about growth is that it is such a cross-discipline between all those disciplines. So product marketing, sales. And so sometimes like right now we have more like product focused growth folks and they'll give more product focused answers. But for sure, like there uh, last week we had a woman who runs growth from the marketing perspective over at Shopify. So I think it's a mix of all of them. And what I've found, I mean, I've been running a growth podcast for a while now, interviewing tons of amazing people uh, that run growth teams in all angles, sales, marketing and and product. And, And I think at the end of the day, like the tactics transfer really well between the teams, like the fundamentals around like metrics and, you know, structure and measurement and strategy, like all those things seem to, you know, cross all the lines. So I think while, you know, you might be getting an answer from somebody that is explicitly like a product led growth type person, I do think that a lot of those lessons translate really well and easily, even if it's not explicit. So uh, so much that it's it's marketing. But yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I'll just toss out there too is I've 
we have one session in on June 29th, which is going to be the marketing skills you need to know for growth tactics. So that certainly can can fit that mold. And next, and the week before that is getting buy-in from sales on pricing experiments. So that'll be a sales, more of a sales voice one. So I am also, we've got three more lined up and I have the ideas for those three sessions. But if you would want to hear more of a marketing focused one, shoot me an email, anybody here, shoot me an email on whatever topic you want to hear. Uh, and I can help gather some some folks that want to talk about it. So it'd be yeah. interesting, Juana, to hear some some topics that you that are keeping you up that you'd love to see covered. What are kind of like your top your top three? Fantastic. Yeah, I'll think of that and send you a message. But for me, more importantly, would be how to get people in marketing-led organizations to think holistically, not just about acquisition, but about, you know, the growth loops all the way down to engagement, habit loops, and then monetization. This is a, a an issue that I'm kind of struggling everywhere I go. So how do we get senior leadership to think through the whole aspect of growth? Because they seem to just focus on one area or another. So for me, it would be amazingly important to understand how to get someone who doesn't who doesn't see the full picture to see the full picture. For me, that would be the most important thing. And then I'll think about this and let you know. Great. That's a good topic. Yeah. Love that one. I I wrote it down and I think I'll, we'll figure out how to package that one in. But yeah, my email is matt at drift.com for anybody here. Should we know with any ideas? Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for coming up and asking. It's, it's a good question. Hila, Thibaut, any parting or final words here? I think we covered a lot. I think that, you know, it'd be interesting for us to... Uh, to see uh, to see what the folks have to say uh, in terms of like the the topics they'd like to see covered. I think we've covered a lot of the ambiguity in the, in the discipline. So um, no, I don't have anything to add. Uh, to add, uh, the the one um, made me think about you know uh, more marketing topics that I'd love to see covered. One of them is affiliate marketing. At Adobe, we I, I started a, an affiliate marketing program for for Spark that started generating in, in nine months, you know, a substantial amount of money. And so I've been kind of like thinking about, you know, learning from experts. I'm not an expert at affiliate marketing, but it's a, it's its own space. It's its own world. You know, <laughs> there are literally just uh, podcasts just about that. So that's, you know, just to plug Matt, I think, you know, that'd be uh, something um, I'd love to, uh, to actually be a, be uh, an attendee and just listen to what people have to say about affiliate marketing in 2021. Awesome. Written it down. Hila? Yeah. I think maybe in season two of this, if there is a season two, maybe we can do some like cross-functional growth, like debates or cross-functional perspective or discussions of growth. I think that'll be super cool. And I, I enjoyed the, the session a lot. I enjoyed the conversations. And it's also very fun to watch T-Boot as like a, almost like a superhero flash and coming in and out like in 10 seconds and, and, <laughs> and have, still giving off some talk. Right. I think we have an, a question from uh, Fosia. I'm not sure if I pronounce it well, but uh, yes. I'm giving it a try. Welcome up. Thank you so much for doing these sessions. I have personally found them invaluable. By the way, I've been doing product management for both direct-to-consumer as well as B2B. And recently, it's been mainly on the back-end side, building up personalization platforms for um, direct-to-consumer. 
So I'm now in a new role where I'm doing growth for a direct-to-consumer healthcare tech company. So I am really paying close attention. My only challenge is I'm on Pacific Coast or um, West Coast Pacific time zone. You guys are doing this in the middle of my day. <laughs> so my question is, is there any way for me to retrieve this or go back in time? And I know Hila shares some good notes and sometimes Matt shares some good notes. What's the best way of following up if you miss a session, I guess, is my question. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. So uh, most of these, this one included, uh, we are, we record as a podcast. So if you Google my name, Matt Bellotti podcast, you should be able to find it. And I've had Hila on the podcast multiple times. I've had Tebow and tons of other amazing people. And each of the episodes tries to go really deep in a specific topic. So I'd say that would for sure be the best way to, to catch back up on them. Yeah, so I definitely listened to your podcast, Matt. I just wasn't sure if these clubhouse sessions are part of it too or not. Yes, yeah. Most of the time, these will start to make it on there. Awesome, thank you. Is there any other podcast than that Matt's podcast on growth? Matt, I think like you're, you've got the... Uh... <laughs> You you <laughs> got the market cornered. Yeah, you're you own this. It's uh, I mean I'm joking, but uh, I know I've. <laughs> it's an honor to be to be doing this with you, but uh, but I know that you've been doing this for a while now, and uh, so it's great to see people having questions, wanting uh, more flexibility in getting this content. Absolutely, yeah, it's been fun, been fun running the podcast. Thanks for coming up and, and asking. And we got another question here, Sohail. Yeah, that's correct. Hey guys. Welcome. Hello. Good. How are you? I've seen you at uh, mostly all these sessions so far. Thanks for coming by. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, it's really helpful to kind of listen to you guys and learn a lot about growth. So I actually, before I started attending these sessions, I think this is my third or fourth, to be honest. But before I, prior to attending these sessions on Clubhouse, I really did not have any idea in terms of what growth means in terms of product management. So. I'm still a little unclear because a lot of the things that you guys talked about, you know, seem fundamentally like even on a core product team, like the fundamentals remain the same, right? Like, in, like for example, if you talk about having two sets of roadmaps where one roadmap is basically running ahead of the other roadmap for research and discovery, and then your other roadmap is, you know, more heavily bent on execution. So a lot of the things that you guys talked about, like fundamentally seem the same between growth and core. Wanted you guys to kind of uh, share, if you guys don't mind, a few more differences between growth versus a core product team. Like what would be the differences? Because I don't think um, where I work at this point, like there's a dedicated growth team. So uh, we just would love to know like what the what some more differences are between the two. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's a good question, and and honestly, I think I like the the way Chamath, who's now <laughs> a popular, I'd say, investor and and pretty visible on Twitter and stuff, Chamath Palapatia, who uh, back then at Facebook kind of like split it into two groups, and that's how I explained it at companies when we build growth teams. So for me, product managers on product teams really focus on core product values, so they're really building really what's what we're going to try to grow right without without a product there's no growth again like growth happens on top of a, a good product market fit and the growth team is here to accelerate the growth i don't think you've ever seen an article saying growth team fixed product market fit or created a product for the product that's not how it works you have a good product so the product team builds that product 
And then the growth team is really obsessed about uh, improving and optimization of the business. So the way, again, I have a simple slide where basically product managers, core product value, and then on the right, you have growth team. And the growth team is focused on basically getting people to experience that value as quickly as possible. And that's the symbiosis that I explain. I'm like, okay, the growth team is really lives because of the product and we're here to optimize what the product team is doing. Very often at Adobe was the same thing, GitHub, same thing. The product team is really, really swamped with continued value added to the product. They don't have time to optimize, go back, iterate a ton and actually really, and so they're leaving things sometimes on the way. And the growth team is here to pick that up and be like, okay, we're actually going to be optimizing that. That's my simplification and explanation of it. Yeah, I think I will I will use a, a kind of analogy. I feel like product man, core product managers are the builders and they kind of to Tibu's point, they they build the infrastructure, they build the core product, they are solving, they are building futures that actually are solving customers' pain points and problems. I tend to call gross PMs as the maximizers. So I think optimizer is a little bit downplay of their role. I call them the maximizer. They do a lot of things in the product to maximize the value the customers can get from the the product that's already there. Because to Tibo's point, there's typically a lot of things left to be done there. And in my experience, it's hard for one single team or one single PM to do both. Unless I think there are cases where this product is very, very mature, is very, very late stage. In those cases, uh, I think maybe there is not a such a big difference in core PM and and uh, the the gross PM because they are doing a lot of optimization, maximization, and and things to extract value from a product. In most cases, there is a benefit in separating them. I think there that the value can be maximized in a way. Awesome. I think that is a great question to end on with some awesome answers. Thanks so much for coming up here and asking. For everybody that's joined, as always, really appreciate it. Gila, Thibaut, I love spending time with you. I always learn a ton. So thank you again for carving out some time in your day to do these. We will be back next week. And the topic for next week is uh, balancing your bets and experiments portfolio. So that should be a great one. And I will see you then. All right. Thanks, everyone. Stay Thanks. safe. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate you tuning into the podcast. I know there's so many things you could do with your time things you can listen to, watch, whatever it might be. So thank you for spending it here. If you are a fan, a review would go a super long way on the podcast app that you use. Additionally, I am always open to ideas, feedback, whatever it might be. My email is mattadrift.com. Thanks for listening. Hit that subscribe button if you enjoyed this and I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.